0: that uh, confirmed my decision to go and baptize my grandchildren last Sunday morning. It was a true, true blessing to be able to do that, to uh, hear them promise that they're going to live their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, and they know that all their sins are forgiven. I found out uh, something I didn't know, that my my grandson Isaiah got saved at camp this past summer. So that was a, a special treat. I don't know why I didn't learn it before before that, but I just learned that this past weekend, and once again, thank you for the opportunity to uh, go down there and to to be with them, but it's good to be back with you here this morning. Got here a a good message last Sunday morning. Jeff Totten is the interim pastor at uh, uh, Brighton Community Church down there. He's the chaplain for the Detroit Tigers, and when when, uh, the Tigers are in town, he's not able to be at the church. He puts on chapel for the baseball teams. But when the Tigers are on the road, he's there to speak at the church. So uh, today, while he's on the chapel for the Tigers, Frank Tanana, some of you guys know who, some of you folks know who that is. He's, the, he's speaking at the church there. I told my son, they keep getting speakers like that. They're not going to want to call a regular pastor to the church there. They'll just be continuing with that. Uh, I've enjoyed the opportunity and challenge this summer of trying to answer questions that you ask. Uh, asked me to deal with. Uh, They've been good questions, and I've enjoyed the study involved in in attempting to give you biblical answers. That's my goal, to always be biblical, not just to give you my ideas, my opinions, but to be biblical. And uh, this morning, we'll be dealing with the last uh, subject in the series and address the question, does God, somebody asked, does God care what I wear to church? And does it matter if I don't want to dress up? Well, let me give you a couple of absolutes here to start with. First of all, God does care that we be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? He wants us all to be not clothed in our own righteousness, but to have the righteousness of Christ uh, that, that is ours, that we achieve only by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. He does care. That we gather to worship Him together. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Right? So God does want believers to gather. Sometimes you hear people say, well, I can worship the Lord on the golf course or in front of the TV or whatever. But uh, there's a place for believers gathering together. I'm so thankful you're here this morning. And I'm not here in this auditorium by myself. I'm thankful for the opportunity to gather together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. God also does care that we wear something. Uh, If you go back to the Garden of Eden, he even made clothes for Adam and Eve uh, after the fall. They had their feeble attempt with fig leaves, and God did much better than that for them, dressing them in animal skin. God does care that we dress modestly. We find that addressed in Scripture. A couple of passages in First Timothy 2 and 1 Peter 3 talks about the dress, especially for, for women being modest, but there certainly is an application to men as well that dress should be modest. We do not have a dress code at First Baptist Church other than modesty. And in fact, I would hope if someone came in dressed even less than modest, that we would be welcoming to them and that we would try to minister them in a situation like that. Now, if somebody shows up wearing a Speedo or a bikini for a church service, they're probably coming with a, a disruptive agenda, and we would do what we could to minimize that that disruption. Now, we talk about dressing up uh, in this day and age, and there, there's even differences of opinion as to what dressing up is. Uh, Sometimes you think of, um, for men, a coat and a tie, and dress slacks and shoes, for women, a dress or nice slacks, uh, nice slacks set. Some would say just just a dress for women, uh, dress shoes, and uh, dressing up for women used to used to involve hats. How many of you are old enough to remember that? When all the ladies wore their hats to church, and that was part of dressing up, dressing for church. Uh, what 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 you might think in terms of what we might wear to a wedding, funeral, or or something like that, as, as being what we would think of as dressing up. Not dressing up, we think more of casual shirts and tops and jeans, maybe when it's hot, shorts, casual shoes, or, or sneakers. Now, there's a couple of different ways of, of answering that, that question. Oop, what happened? I hit the wrong button. Oop, I got it upside down. Couple of ways of answering that question. First of all, people that think about, well, man, you you, you need to dress up when you come to church, and uh, the, the, a lot of times the reasoning goes like this: we we have to give God our best, and so we should wear our our best clothes. I I was raised when I had three kind of clothes when I was a kid. I had my my church clothes, I had my school clothes, and I had my play clothes. God forbid that you should go out and play in your in your school clothes or your church clothes. That would just Absolutely terrible to do something like that. Uh, so give God your best. Your dress clothes, certainly not your your play clothes or your school clothes. It, it, we show respect to the Lord if we dress up. We make going to church special, and uh, sometimes our outward appearance can reflect the reflection of of our hearts and, and what we wear. And uh, the idea is sometimes dress can affect behavior. I know and when I went to school. Uh, jeans weren't even allowed unless you were uh, a young man in shop, and there weren't any girls in shop then either. And the idea was the dress should affect your behavior. If you're dressed a certain way, you'd behave a little differently. And that was part of my parents thinking, too. Whenever we went to church, they dressed me up. But I got to admit, I tore holes in more than one pair of, sweat of uh, church clothes <laughs> and church pants there. But uh, the other thing is, what in the world am I going to do with all these ties? that i have and, and suit coats and sport coats and things like that if i don't dress up for church so there's different reasonings that people might might use why dress down all well, people have ideas there first of all dress is considered to be a a matter of culture and and tradition uh as far as what what people you know what what the matter of what people wear to to church is and uh The Bible doesn't tell us how to dress for worship, except for the Old Testament priests. And none of us would want to come to church dressed the way the Old Testament priests did. The early church met in houses, and and many many early Christians were slaves. They didn't have any church clothes, and they, they were lucky if they could get away from their duties to even get together with other believers. In fact, if any of us came here and we dressed like Paul or Peter, we'd probably have people staring at us, and, and rightfully so. Uh, back to the matters. Our culture is changing in regards to, to dressing up. Even, you see it among fundamental Baptists in conferences and meetings and things like that. I went to a, uh, a conference on Tuesday this last week and a meeting on Thursday. And at the conferences, you wouldn't see anybody without a coat and tie a number of years ago. I think there were about two of us that had a coat and tie on at the conference this past Tuesday at the meeting on thursday once again meetings of preachers getting together you it would have been coats and ties and whatnot and uh, i don't think there was a tie to be found in the place so the culture is changing even among fundamental baptists uh, the, the reasoning also is that we need to avoid making dress an obstacle to unsafe people coming to our worship gatherings. you say well we gather in, in church for for the believers and to worship god that's true but First Corinthians chapter fourteen, it, it uh, does Paul does address the Corinthians about their abuse of spiritual gifts, and he said if if unsaved people came in and saw you carrying on the way that you do, they're going to be turned off totally. But if if you're you're prophesying and if you're teaching the word and things like that, then they're going to be convicted, they're going to be challenged, and they they too are going to worship the Lord. So we we ought to give some thought to unsaved people coming into the worship services and back to the matter is what we need to be welcoming I've talked to folks along the way I'd like to come to church but I don't have any clothes I don't have any church clothes that I could wear to church you know my response is you just come You know, nobody's going to turn you away for the way that you dress and I think that's the way that it should be Uh, as far as dressing down the the emphasis is well we need to make sure we avoid being proud or or drawing attention to ourselves by by what we dress you know I just got to Got a new shirt, so I'm going to wear it to church today. Or I just got this new dress, and I'm going to go and really wow everybody with it. Yeah, you know, that, that's not what it's about, and that's not pleasing to the Lord. And uh, God looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. So, fact of the matter is, people have differences when it comes to whether you dress up or dress down to church. And, and we we would find that even in this room, and you find you do see it even by the way that people are dressed. Quite a variety. You know what? That's a good thing. The variety is a good thing. Uh, people unified together, even when they, they can be different, that's what it's all about. We find that the, the, the real issue, the real issue that, that comes into play here is, is the way that we would dis- learn to disagree with each other, the way that we relate to each other when we disagree. That, that's what God really cares about. How we think of, treat, and relate to others who don't see this issue the same way that we do. In non-truth, non-doctrinal matters, God's will is that you and I learn to disagree agreeably in Christ-like fashion. In fact, we find a whole chapter of Scripture devoted to this matter in Romans chapter 14. I'd invite you to turn there. I want to direct your attention there this morning. And we only have time to emphasize the main truths given to us in this chapter today. Sometime in the near future, we'll be starting a study in the book of Romans. And we'll do a full exposition of Romans 14 when we get to that point in our our study. But if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're just going to read the first 13 verses this morning. And uh, zero in on, on, on some of those. It says, first of all, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To this, to his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, nor no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. The context of this passage here is that it's dealing with the difference that believers had over certain things that were going on in the church that they didn't have clear direction from Scripture. The two that are zeroed in on here are, first of all, the matter of eating meat that had been dedicated to idols. In in, uh, the ancient world, the ancient Roman world, uh, people would bring meat and they'd they'd bring it to the the pagan temples and it would be be dedicated before these idols. Then then it would be butchered and it would be sold in, in meat markets that were attached to these pagan temples. And the, the the best meat in town could be found in those places. And there were some believers would go there and say, Hey man, this 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 pagan God is nothing. There's only one true living God. So when, when they're saying mumbo jumbo and dedicating this meat before the uh before this pagan god, that, that that's nothing. They're not affecting the meat. And so we can go ahead and eat the steaks and the the pork chops. Well, I guess the Jews wouldn't even eat pork chops, but but so we can go ahead and eat the meat that, that came from there. Although believing Jews could even eat pork chops, right? Not under the law, under grace. So they, they had no problem with eating the meat. Others said, I'm not eating any meat that even came near that pagan temple. We need to stay away. I'm just eating vegetables. That's all I'm going to do. So they, they differed on that. And it was such an issue that we have this chapter in Romans 14 and we also have chapter, three chapters in 1 Corinthians, 8, 9, and 10, that deal with that issue as well. In, in addition to that, we find here in Romans 14, it's dealing with believers who differed over what they should do with the feast days and Sabbaths. As far as uh, recognizing them and making special days out of certain days, others would say, hey, every day belongs to God. Every day's the Lord's day. You know in one sense we talked about Sunday by the way this is not the Sabbath even if we were still under the law and there was a Sabbath when would the Sabbath have been it would have been yesterday right we worship on the first day of the week in recognition of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week but in reality not only is this the Lord's Day but what what, what other day is the Lord's Day every day belongs to him right and, and we ought to glorify him and serve him in every day. And so you had, but you had believers differing over that. Some of them were Jewish believers who had come out from under the law, and they were still struggling with some of those things. And so some would say, "Well, we got to keep these days special." Others said, no, every day is the Lord's day." And they they differed over these things. And some would say, "Well, if you're gonna if you're gonna eat that meat, I'm having nothing to do with you. If you're not gonna keep uh, Rosh Hashanah anymore, then I'm having nothing to do with you." you're not very spiritual in fact maybe you're not even saved you know if you're going to act that way and believers were kind of attacking each other and so the holy spirit directs paul in writing here romans fourteen first corinthians eight nine and ten and of course those are not big issues in the church today right we're not we don't have any pagan temples in carol where they dedicate the meat before they take it to the grocery store you don't have that going on so they're not big issues in the church but you know Believers divide over other things today, don't they? The way you dress, uh, music, uh, Sunday activities. You know, over in Grand Rapids, there was one church over there that uh, they, people would all, all go out to dinner after the Sunday morning service. But they didn't want to have anything to do with one of their members that was a restaurant owner that was open on Sundays. You know, go Go figure. Uh, so they were, were going to boycott his restaurant. Can you imagine something? So, tough, tough thing. Uh, entertainment, certain forms of entertainment. Believers differ over such things as that. And uh, the application can be made to scores of areas where believers in the church today have differing preferences, positions, and convictions. And we see that lined out for us here in in Romans 14. We find, first of all, the chapter starts with a command for acceptance. A consideration of God's acceptance of all believers. A concern that God has to make us all stand. God wants us all to stand. And a call to remember the Lordship of Christ. Who's our Lord? Jesus is our Lord. You're not my Lord, and I'm not your Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. We also have the certainty one day of each of us standing before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And you know who you're going to be concerned about when you stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ? You're going to be concerned about you before the Lord. And then we have, in the last part of the chapter, consideration we owe to each other that we're just going to touch on this morning. And uh, you can read the chapter. But. First of all, we find in the chapter, it begins with a command for mutual acceptance. And uh, the, the term that's used here is, is to receive, to accept, and depending on which English version of the Bible that you've got. Receive one who's weak in the faith, and uh, don't, don't be disputing over doubtful things, questionable things. That, that term receive means to, to, to welcome, accept. Take to oneself, look after, fellowship with. We see it used elsewhere in the New Testament over in Acts 28 where the the natives of Malta welcomed Paul and the other shipwrecked people that that, uh, crashed onto their island there. And they, they took care of them. They built a fire for them. They fed them. They welcomed them in instead of driving them back into the sea. In Romans 15 and verse 7 it says, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God believers ought to be welcoming one another receiving one another embracing one another drawing drawing each other into our our lives in Philemon verse 17 Paul tells Philemon to receive his his runaway slave Onesimus receive him like you would me Paul said welcome the welcome back this runaway slave that that stole from you and and took what was yours and And ran away. Now he's coming back to you. Receive him like a a brother. Receive him like you would receive me. We have similar thoughts given to us in other passages of Scripture. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, we're told that we're to love one another. How? The way that Christ loves us and gave himself for us. In John 17, we're told we're to be one. Uh, There ought to be unity among believers. We're to be one. Ephesians 4, verse 3 says, we're to keep the unity of the Spirit. Colossians 3.14 says, above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Do you think God cares about the way we treat each other? Do you think God cares about the way that we think about each other and the attitudes we have towards each other and, and, and fellowshipping with each other and not shutting each other? I think He cares about that. It's pretty clear in Scripture that he really does care about that. In fact, this is a command here in Romans 14, a very strong, powerful command. I don't know how to tell you in the English language just how strong it is, but in, in the Greek, the, 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 the verb is very, very strong, a strong imperative that's given here, that this is the way that we are to treat each other. This is God's command, God's commanded way to deal with disagreements over questionable issues he says you you don't agree on this thing where there's not clear biblical teaching he says accept each other even if you don't accept somebody else's opinion or somebody else's idea he says accept each other now we're not talking resurrection of christ here we're not talking inerrancy of scripture we're not talking about salvation by grace through faith those are fundamentals right those are things that are nailed down in Scripture. we got clear biblical teaching. We're talking about areas where there, there, there is room for disagreements and different ideas. This is a, a continuing obligation that we have. And he talks here about the, the weak in the faith. The weak one in the faith here was the one that, that uh, uh, didn't, wasn't able to eat the meat. Because he just didn't fully grasp. He was a saved person not necessarily an unspiritual person but he he had a hard time getting over some of the the context that there was involved in in eating that meat that had anything to do with the pagan temple he he wasn't fully seeing how powerful and strong the grace of jesus christ really is and he was considered he probably would have considered himself strong and he's taking a strong stand man i'm not having anything to do with that meat that was dedicated for the idol I'm taking a strong stand. I'm going to keep all those feast days. I'm going to keep all those Sabbaths that were laid down in the Old Testament. So he might have considered himself strong, but in reality, he wasn't really fully embracing the liberty that we have in Christ. Well, we find it, it, it doesn't use the word strong here. And uh, somebody might consider themselves strong, but, but you've got to be careful there because you know what? In some ways, in many ways, we all are weak, aren't we? We all have weaknesses. We would all fall short. We start thinking we stand, we're strong. We may be in danger of falling ourselves. We find that the issue that is involved here, it talks about in the end of verse 14 in the uh, New King James, it calls it doubtful things. In the New American Standard and the English Standard versions, the word is opinions. Do not get into disputes over opinions. Do not get into disputes over doubtful things. In the uh, NIV, the, the word is disputable matters. Don't get into disputes over disputable ma- Opinions. The, the, uh, the Greek term that's used there is uh, dialogissimo. And you, you hear the word dialogue in there? These are things that you could have a discussion about. Things you could differ on. You, you could talk about. It's the idea of thoughts and opinions and reasonings. And imagination. We're talking here about men's inferences, men's conclusions, and preferences on matters where we do not have direct, clear, biblical teaching. Uh, Examples in this passage have to do with this eating and and keeping the certain days. And the, the alternative to acceptance would be despising, judging, looking down on, criticizing. Thinking unspiritual, and uh, we, we find that that's not what the Lord wants. We're putting down somebody else because of what they eat, or because of the way they dress, or the preference they have about music, or, or, or something along those lines. Now, that's not what it's all about. The the, the believer freedom in Christ should uh, should still be taught to people, but it's not something we ought to be disputing over all the time. Well, one example that I came across in my study for this this message is. Uh, two of the great preachers in, in England in the 19th century were Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. They attracted huge crowds when they preached uh, there in, in London. And these guys had some good, good fellowship together. They used to do things together and stuff like that. But then Spurgeon found out that Parker was going to the theater to see some plays. And he didn't want anything more to do with them. Of course... Parker kind of got upset with Spurgeon, too, because Spurgeon was known to smoke a cigar now and then. And so these two great preachers of the word end up completely going their separate ways just over differences like that. What kind of testimony was that in 19th century England, 19th century London? So we have the command, folks, accept each other, welcome each other, love each other, that's the thing that's a testimony of the world. In fact, in John 13, that's, that's noted as our badge of discipleship. That's how people are going to know that, that we belong to Christ. By the way, that we love one another. The other thing we consider is the fact that God accepts all believers. And, and we have a forbidden attitude given to us here where, where we're not to despise does not him, who eats not, not him who eats despise him who does not eat and vice versa? And God accepts all believers. And we're commanded not to reject each other and turn on each other and fight with each, with each other over such things. And think of somebody as being irresponsible or unspiritual or carnal or worldly or, or sinful or legalistic or self-righteous. You know, sometimes you hear those words thrown around when people are debating over some of these, these questionable things, these these preferences, these opinions. And the fact we're to remember here is that God has received the eater and the non-eater. God has received the believer who dresses up for church and the believer who doesn't dress up for church. God, doesn't, God does not make an issue out of a lot of things that men do. You know, if if the the eater and the non-eater, the dresser and the non-dresser-upper have fellowship and acceptance with God, how can we shut them out? How can we cut them off? How can we do that in prideful arrogance, not accept each other? Now, God has a concern, and God's concern, we see, is to make a stand in verse 4. First, we have a, a question that's asked here. Who are you to judge? Another another servant. We're all God's servants. We all belong to Him. We've been accepted by Him. And be careful when you start criticizing and judging somebody that belongs to God, that's part of His family, that, that's His servant. We're accepted by Him and have access to Him. We have a place in His family where we're justified and declared righteous and forgiven We belong to Him. It's a pretty good question. Who are we to judge other believers who have this kind of a standing before God and are His servants in matters not clearly spoken about in in Scripture? Uh, Paul's attitude in in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Corinthians were being kind of hard on him and some issues. In 1 Corinthians 4, he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court in fact I do not even judge myself for I know nothing against myself yet I am not justified by this but he who judges me is the Lord, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God be careful The one thing God wants us to do is He wants us to stand. And as believers, we have a standing before God. It's a standing before God in the righteousness of Christ. We're part of His family. We are His children. Every believer. In addition to that, God wants us to stand for Him in this world. He wants to help us to stand in this world. And He wants you and me... Helping each other to stand. Now, what am I talking about? Stand. What do you mean, stand? Well, stand up and not be defeated. To, to have a stand for God, to not have our testimony blown, to have people recognize that we stand for Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. And Paul gives us really another example of this in, in Ephesians chapter 6 in the Armor of God passage. And starting verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of His might. That's that's standing. Being strong in the Lord. The power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand... Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You get the idea what God wants us to do? He wants us to stand. He wants us to stand against the enemy. Whether you know it or not, as God's people in this world, we have enemies. Who are our enemies? Our enemies are the devil and his demonic horde. Our enemies are the world. Our enemies are our own flesh. God wants to help us Stand. Against those enemies. And you know what he wants you and me to be doing for each other? He wants us to help each other stand against the enemies. You know, we had allies come together in World War II to defeat Nazi Germany and Hitler and, and uh, the Axis powers. And, and Japan. That's a good thing those allies came together. Or who knows what, would be, what the world would be like today. And as believers, we have common enemies and we're called upon to help each other stand and we should be helping each other, not knocking each other down over preferences and opinions and non-biblical traditions, not fighting and becoming enemies with each other. And sometimes that happens. You got a different preference than I do? That's not something that pleases God when it tears us apart. Differences do exist among believers. But they shouldn't tear us apart. One reason is because we've got Jesus Christ as our Lord. Differences exist. But the demand is placed upon us in in, in verse 5. Paul says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. You need to you need to have reasons for what you do. Reasons for whether you dress up or don't dress up. You need to have reasons for coming to church. You ought to come here to worship the Lord. If you're just coming here to be seen or coming for business purposes, you're missing it. And we also ought to have a common devotion. And all of us as believers, if you go through it, it says he who eats, eats to the Lord. He who doesn't eat, eats to the Lord. He who keeps a day does it to the Lord. He who doesn't do it does it to the Lord. And I hope the same thing true when it comes to this matter of dress. He that dresses up does it to the Lord. He that doesn't dress up does it to the Lord. In fact, he goes on. He says, well, if you live, you live to the Lord. Who are you living for? Hopefully, you're living for Jesus Christ today. And one of these days, we're going to be cut out of this world. We're going to die. And hopefully, we, we want to die for the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want my death to be one that's going to be pleasing to God. Actually, I kind of hope that the rapture. And we all go out of here together and we can escape death. But if it doesn't happen, I want to please the Lord in the way that I die. You know, if it ends up being through some illness, I want to be faithful in all that. That's the main thing, isn't it? Because Christ is my Lord. And He's to decide how long I live. He's to decide when I leave this world. And He needs to be recognized as our lord we need to recognize his authority spelled out for us there if we live we live to the lord if we die we die to the lord therefore whether we live or die we are the lord for this end christ died and rose and lived again that he might be lord of both the dead and the living why do you judge your brother why do you show contempt for your brother we shall all judge stand before the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you know who we're going to be concerned about? We'll be concerned about ourselves. By the way, the judgment seat of Christ is not the great white throne judgment. great white throne judgment is where unbelievers are going to stand. And when the names aren't found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. The judgment seat of Christ is that the seat that, that, that all believers are going to stand before. Sometimes it's called the bema seat, and it's taken from the uh, the athletic games when the uh, those that participated would come and they would receive their rewards, or maybe hear that they were disqualified. We'll talk a little bit more about the judgment seat of Christ next week. But the thing for you and I need to remember is that Christ is our Lord, and we need to dress to please Him. We need to worship Him. We need to live. For him, and and one of the key things in this is, isn't the kind of clothes we wear. But most important thing is how we deal with each other. Are we helping each other to stand? You know, against common enemies, or are we knocking each other down? God help us not to knock each other down over traditions and preferences and opinions where we just don't have. Clear teaching in Scripture. When we have clear teaching, we better stand for the resurrection of Christ. We better stand for salvation by grace through faith. We better stand for the reality of hell. We better stand for what the gospel is all about. We need to be unified on that. But man, there's a whole lot of other areas out here in this world where believers have plenty of room for liberty. And we need to be willing to give liberty to others as well heavenly father thank you for your love for us thank you for your grace for your mercy lord thank you for giving us each other thank you for all you do father to help us stand for giving us the holy spirit giving us the 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 scriptures thank you for giving us each other Giving us spiritual gifts that we can can exercise in helping to build each other up. Giving us a love for each other. Giving us the unity of the Spirit. Lord, help us not to let questionable, disputable, doubtful, opinionated things drive us apart as believers. Help us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and to have a testimony before us, unsaved world that desperately needs the gospel desperately needs a picture of the love of Christ. May that love of Christ be evident in the attitude of the folks in First Baptist Church towards one another. May that always be the case. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, would you sing a verse with me of uh, 284?